Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. All right, welcome back to the Deepen Podcast. We are in week five of Anything is Possible. And we're gonna be talking about one of my favorite miracles, feeding of the 5,000. Um, but we're gonna take an interesting turn because the chapter title is The Feeding of the 5,000. Do you believe even when doubts creep in? So we'll talk about those two things. We have the miracle and then a moment of doubt. But before we get there, this chapter includes a really important story to your life, Pastor Joby, and the life of our church, Sergeant Ike Brown. We um, told his story on Easter a few weeks ago, but if people weren't there for it, or just as a reminder, um, well, I will say they should go on YouTube and watch. It's 15 minutes. They should watch his story on our church's YouTube page. But um, will you just tell us how you met Ike and then give us just the high-level overview of his story? <laughs> yeah, uh, and they probably were here because there was like 30,000 people That's here. That's true. That was crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, years ago, seven years ago or eight years ago or something, um, the sheriff of JSO, who's a buddy of mine, we were doing some stuff together because, uh, you know, our church supports our law enforcement very heavily. And I was having lunch with Mike, and he's like, there's a guy that I need you to meet. <clears throat> that guy was Sergeant Ike Brown, and Ike tells his story. Um, years ago, his son, Ike Jr., was 21 years old and was just hanging out at his buddy's house playing video games. And there was another guy there named Takoya Kreiner, and and we still don't know exactly what happened, but Takoya shot several of the kids, and one of them was Ike's son, and he killed him. And uh, Ike Brown is a police officer, and, um, you know, can't imagine, right, the devastation of losing your son. Then they finally go to court, and when Ike sees Takoya, even though Ike says all the same things all the dads I know say, if you mess with my kid, you know, I would, I would harm you. And he just is overwhelmed by grace when he sees Takoya, and he just says, I just loved him. I just loved him. And it really, man, it, it bothered the heck out of Ike. He was like, what's wrong with me, you know? And um, But it was just the grace of God flowing through Ike to Takoya. Long story short, after about three years of Takoya being in prison, he writes, Ike, Ike had written many, many letters, threw them all away because he was nervous to send them, and then eventually sent Takoya a letter and said, I love you, I forgive you, I hope you're doing as good as you can be in prison. And then at the end he says, <clears throat> and I want to ask for a favor could you take Ike Jr.'s place? I miss my son, and would you take his place? Well, what I didn't know is that Takoya had just like days leading up to that letter been praying. You know, he's got he's in a rough spot, right? Mm -hmm. Life sentence in prison. And he's like, all right, Lord, if you are who you say you are, show yourself to me. And then he gets a letter from Mr. Ike Brown. And it was confirmation to Takoya that God heard his prayer. So Takoya puts his faith in Christ right then. They begin a relationship. And after a couple of years, Sergeant Ike legally adopts his son's murderer as his own son. <clears throat> and they, they have a great relationship today. And they also, like via Zoom or Skype or those kind of things, 
um, they will speak to like at-risk students or football teams around Jacksonville, those kinds of things, and just share their story about what God's done in their life. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's but unbelievable. It's undeniable. That's yeah. right. Okay, so we're going to circle back to his story. We're going to do just like the chapter does. You basically tell the story, then you leave everyone there and say, we'll be back in a little yep. bit. And then we're going to go to the miracle and then we'll come back to Sergeant Ike. But um, so at the beginning of this chapter, you talk about that the Lord will test us. And this can be confusing for some people. Like, why would God want or need to test me? So what does it mean exactly that the Lord will test us? Well, it says it straight up. He asked Philip this question to test him. <clears throat> So, I mean, the reason that you are tested or the reason that you test people is because you're trying to teach them something. You want to make sure they have learned a thing. They're trying to develop a habit or a skill. But it's it's all just about sanctification is ultimately what it is. And, man, I mean, really at the heart of discipleship is the word discipline. The book of Hebrews says um, that if you're not disciplined by God, then you're an illegitimate child. Think about that. And... If that's the case, then I grew up super legit because my daddy disciplined me <laughs> to the extreme. But that's it, man. It's um, um, You can discipline without love, but you cannot love without discipline. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is, man. The, the Lord would love us enough to put us in the kind of situations that develop us into the likeness of Christ that he's called us into. He doesn't just like sprinkle perseverance dust on us, but he willfully walks us through the fire so that we can cling to him and then be refined in the process. Charles, anything you'd add to that? No, other than testing produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And I think the Lord, just to build our faith, does this. He knows us better than we do, knows what we need. It is a refining process. It's kind of like the prayer you've always prayed for our church. You pray that God will bless you or break you, whatever it takes to draw you near him. When did you start praying that prayer? Or like, how did you, where did you come up with that? Um, long time ago, I think it's J.I. Packer says, um, uh, and still he yearns for the fellowship of his people mm. and willfully, prize our hands from the things of this world that we may take hold of him. And honestly, it was a lot easier to pray when I was like early 30s. <laughs> just just kind of get them, God, whatever it takes, you know? And then for the last 10 years, pastoring this thing and watching people come to him via the breaking. Mm. Like I can't pray that prayer now without thinking of Mackenzie Wilson and her whole family. Mm. Now, again, it's, it's not the script anybody would write for their own life, but whatever it takes to get Jesus is worth it, eternally speaking, mm. right? And so, yeah, it's like that. Mm. But man, I would I would much rather learn the thing uh, via miracle than breaking. Mm. I mean, one of the things, <clears throat> I mean, you just quoted... James, brother of Jesus, writes, Consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials of many kinds. I'm going to teach that this summer, so I've been thinking about it. I don't know why I'm thinking about it so much. But here's what this means, man. He's not saying 
Consider it pure joy when you look back over your shoulder and in retrospect experience Romans 8, 28. Oh, yeah, now I can see how God was at work in all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But before you figure that out, when you're facing the trial, like it's in front of you, hey, what's up, trial? Mm. I am consider this pure joy to meet you because I know God's going to use this for his glory and somehow my good in it. That's different. Mm. I mean, it, it also it reminds me of... Um, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says this. He says, the devil is going to sift you. All right, what is that? That's scary. <clears throat> that is like a like you pour a bunch of dirt into like a screen thing, and you shake it, and, to, and all the little stuff falls out, and there's only gold left. He's like, yeah, he's going to do that to you. And then Jesus says to Peter this, and I will pray for you. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Wait. How about stop him yeah. from sifting me? You know what I do? That'd be better. Can we do that one? So, but he doesn't. He doesn't. So, of course, the Lord tests us. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but you have this quote um, in this chapter on page 89. And it says, The Father knows he's not indifferent not checked out, not surprised, not pacing the halls of heaven, popping antacids over your predicament. Let me say this directly. Whatever you're facing has already been sifted through his sovereign hand. Remember this. And so it's already been sifted through his sovereign hand. So it's when you say that James says to look at the trial and consider it joy, it almost feels like it's with that thought. Like I know this has been sifted through the sovereign hand of God. So it must be for a purpose for his glory. Yeah, what did Pastor Bruce say? He said the sovereignty of God is CPR to the heart of the believer. Mm. It's like even and especially when your circumstances are not going the way you would script them to go, mm -hmm. the, the reason that you can have a transcendent peace is because you know God is not surprised. It's not over his head. Mm -hmm. He's not caught off guard. He even purposes the enemy's schemes, and he even purposes other people's sin against us mm. for his own good. See, eyebrow. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, even in Ike's story, he talks at the beginning about how he had a very distant relationship with the Lord. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, of course— and I don't want to speak on his behalf, but you would never want to lose your child. But you look at what he says at the end, how if the enemy knew everything that was going to unfold, he would have never messed with those boys. Mm -hmm. And right. so it's just, it's yeah, it's exactly what we're talking about. Okay, so feeding of the 5,000. Charles, will you give us the overview of this miracle? He says in the, this is John 6, but he says it's something interesting, and I had not really zeroed in on it until he recently. But the end of John 5, um, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Then he goes up, and it says, I think in Matthew, he goes to a desolate place. It doesn't really, I don't think it says that in as much in John 6, but he goes up on a mountain near the Sea of Galilee or alongside the Sea of Galilee and the crowds start following him. And Matthew, it says he goes to a desolate place. I'd never made the connection. Maybe you have, but at least not, not like this, that Jesus is the greater Moses. And the greater Moses 
is in the desert or in a desolate place. And the nation of people come and find him in the desert and he feeds them manna from heaven through the hands of the tribes or the 12 or the disciples. Uh, I just not, I don't know. I mean, it's like the, you know, John's pointing us back to Jesus being the greater Moses. I, I don't know. Anyway, that struck me as I was looking over it this morning. They have these five loaves, two fish. Um, he does say to, you know, he tests Philip. But then he, and there's something interesting, he tells it, he, te- he says, you tell him to sit down. And he only feeds the ones that are si- seated. That's what it says. They, he fed, they fed those who were seated. So does it through, through the disciples, which, you know, the Lord blesses it or asks, prays a blessing over the food, multiplies it, hands it out. 5,000, it says there are 5,000 men. I'm of the camp that it could have been up to 25,000 people, wives and children. The thing I can't, the thing I just can't wrap my head around, the thing I can't, this miracle occurred through the hand. One of them was Judas. Mm. Judas saw this. He saw, he saw God, he saw the greater Moses do what Moses had done. So, you know, again, that's the sovereignty of God that he had created him for the very purpose. But when it's over, they, and it says also they were all satisfied. That doesn't just mean everybody got like a little piece, a little mm-hmm. bit of communion bread, and they got, you know, wet their appetite or something. They were satisfied. Mm-hmm. They had eaten enough. And then they collect 12 baskets. And I think Jesus is signaling, I'm about to do something through your hands that you're not going to quite comprehend. I'm going to place the kingdom of heaven in your hands, and you guys are going to be the ones to to minister it to my people, to mm-hmm. feed my people. Anything you'd add? It, it makes me think, um, when is the last time you found yourself in a situation and you know the Lord has told you to do a thing, but in your own reasoning, you're like, I don't see how this makes sense. Because think about it. like The way it works in my brain is it's like you're sitting where Jesus is and he takes it and he breaks the bread and he gives thanks and then he goes, okay, feed everybody. And then you hand it to me and I'm like, are they, are they still looking? Are they back there? <laughs> oh my gosh, well, I, got, I don't have enough to feed us in line right here. So, what, so at some point, <clears throat> each disciple had to give the first bit away. Mm-hmm. At some point, they realize, I have given it all away, but I still have plenty to continue to give. And then they're getting confident. <laughs> what is happening here, man? And so one of the things that I constantly think about as we were riding through all these miracles is how many of the miracles happened on the way. Mm. We didn't cover this one, but um, when Jesus heals the 10 lepers, he says, go check in with the priest. Mm-hmm. He did not heal them and say, go show the priest. He says, Go, go see the priest. And it's as they are on the go, when they reveal themselves to the priest, I guess they're like, I hope this works. Oh my gosh, I don't have wow. leprosy, okay? Um, same thing on the southern steps when uh, Peter and John are on their way and they silver and gold have I none. Mm-hmm. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. But the Bible says, and then Peter reached out his ta- hand, took the man by the hand, and then his ankles were strengthened. Mm. the watered wine, Mm -hmm. it doesn't say that he turned the water to wine and says, see, here it is. Take it. It's not what he says. Mm -hmm. He just 
fills up the six stone jars, dips out the ladle, and he says, take it. And then somewhere in the obedience, the miracle happens. Same thing in this one. Hand this out. It's not like he multiplied it and then they handed out the surplus. All right. So I wonder how many miracles are still in the stone jar, still laying on the step, still in the hands of a little boy. Wow. Because we didn't do what he said to do. That'll preach. Yeah. This church is that. 12 years, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and Pastor Jerry looks at me and says, I think it's time that we launch a church and you should be the senior pastor. And I thought, it don't make sense. I mean, serious. <clears throat> you know? And if if we don't do that thing, step out in obedience, all these miracles that we see around here they don't happen the way we we are experiencing them so what's the difference between the disciples and the little boy with the loaves and the fish well i mean the disciples all of their options are um all man-made thinking philip's like we don't have enough money you know, some of the other accounts were like, there's not enough food here. It's too far. All they're doing is coming up with all the reasons why it can't. Mm. The little boy just shows up with one reason it can. Here. He's like, I don't know if this will do it or not, but I know this in your hand can do a lot more than anything in my hand. Mm, so good. it ain't much, but here, you take it. And, I mean, you think about it, he's giving up his... <laughs> lunch like his whole meal you don't know how many meals he's he has in a day and so there is a level of trust that the boy is saying even if i don't get anything back i know that this will be worth it to give this to the uh you do know he's a poor boy because uh the bible does tell what type of bread it is Mm -hmm. and it's from barley and that was the that was the grain of the poor folks Mm -hmm. so you know that he probably doesn't get very many meals and when it says fish man it's not like a delicious bass it's really, the fish is the flavoring. It'd be like a little sardine, and you'd kind of like, like spicy mustard. You'd kind of like rub it on your, does that sound good right now? No, I was say, can't say that sounds the most appetizing. <laughs> Just rub a fish on some bread. But you love fish so much in Israel. Yeah. So much. Um, okay, you talked about that you felt this way when, when we launched this church. Charles, has there ever been a time in your life you felt like you had a little, and you trusted God take this, and he multiplied it? Well, certainly, I think if as Christy and I look back at the beginning of my career, all all I had was a was a manuscript, which was a novel. Later became the Dead Don't Dance, and all I knew to do was hold it up and offer it to the Lord and say, "I think you made me to do this. It is the desire of my heart. Would you would you please take and do what you want to do with this? It's my offering." If you don't do what my heart desires, would you please do two things? One, show me what you want me to do. I do need to take care of my family. So please lead me to that thing. And then two, please take this desire out of my heart. Because mm. I can't live the rest of my life wanting to be something that I'm not when I feel like the desire to be that was put in me by you. Mm. So I certainly, I mean, I think obviously... God 
blessed that story and about 16 of others since then in terms of my fiction. And he did that, not me. I didn't, only thing, only thing I really brought to the equation, which he put in me anyway, so I hadn't brought anything, was just showing up. I was, I was on a podcast recording this past week. The guy was in Australia and it was really weird. It was five o'clock in the afternoon here and nine o'clock in the morning the next day with him. It was, it was weird. <laughs> But I just told him he was talking about you know my writing gift. And I said, look, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't compare myself to other writers because I don't hang out with a lot of other writers. Most of us are solitary. We spend a lot of time alone in a room with a computer. But if I've done something well, it's just that I showed up. I just put my fanny in the seat because books don't write themselves, mm-hmm. and I can't really take credit for that because the Lord gave me the something to put my fanny in the seat and sit down there and write. So. You know, in Scripture, he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the the earth and die, it can't sprout up and grow and bear fruit. And what's interesting about that is the thing that's buried and dies doesn't look like the thing that grows up. Mm. So, I don't know. I I love the story of the boy bringing an offer, and he's like, hey, I have this. And, you know, the disciples are probably, but look what he did. So, I don't know. I I would love to think that, you know, at, at my, the Lord views me as that kid sometimes or views us as this kid that has the faith to say, Lord, this is what I have. Would you just take and multiply it for you, your purposes, your glory? Well, I would say the two of you are huge inspirations. And when you think, when people hear about what you just shared, the step of faith you took, and now where you're sitting right now, it helps people who feel like maybe they have a calling and they are scared to take that first step. And did you see, like, in that first step, could you see this moment, whatever, 10 years later? I don't know how many years later for you. Or no. was it just we put one foot in front of the other and you just don't try to plan the long haul? All right. For our, our millennials and younger that are listening, I think it's a huge danger to look at me and Charles right now. Fact. Because um, it's like 50 years in the making. Mm. People ask me, you know, especially when we first launched the church, I hated this language, but they'd be like, how's it feel to be an overnight success? And I was like, I've been in ministry for 20 years. Yeah, you're like, excuse me. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Or like to write a second book and, and, you know, apparently a lot of people are buying it and that kind of stuff. Here's the thing Charles didn't tell you. Okay, so while he's like chasing this dream, he's also got like three jobs. He's doing pressure washing and cutting grass and financial <laughs> management. I mean, seriously, he's no. he's hauling no, a trailer. No, I was not fi- I was not managing any finances. <laughs> so certainly not my own. <laughs> but you almost did something like that. Was I, in insurance. I, I, I worked in insurance, but uh, I even left that. Right. And I, okay. I'm, I'm building docks and pressure washing. Was wow. my that was kind of what I did. Okay. So, because what I think a lot of people do are like, ooh, I want to be Charles Martin, and God put his dream in my heart. And so what I'm going to do is sit on my couch and pray <laughs> and write my manuscript and then just wait upon the Lord and I'm going to be blessed and mount up with wings like eagles. That's not what that verse means, man. When, when the Bible says, blessed are those that wait upon the Lord, that does not mean be lazy and not take action. It literally in Hebrew means like to hide and wait for an opportunity to pounce. It was usually describing a robber that was hiding in wait to like jump on somebody to kill them, 
or like when I go hunting, that's what you that's the kind of waiting. It's like great anticipation for the opportunity and then you pounce. That's what that word means. So you don't just get to sit on your butt and and hope God just sprinkles, you know, dream dust on you and everything works out great. He's grinding for the sake of his family, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, I started as a youth pastor at Mount Olivet Baptist Church in Beaver Dam, Virginia. You know, Outreach Magazine ain't doing a bunch of articles about Beaver Dam. <clears throat> and I had three kids, man. And honestly, and we grew I, we grew to 12, and I thought, I mean it. You could change the world with 12 disciples. Let's go. <laughs> and it was, but the thing I, I want people to grab onto, for me, it was the Super Bowl. There was nothing beyond that. I was not looking for anything beyond that. And then... The only seminary professor that I got along with was like, when you graduate, you should move to a bigger church. And I was like, no, I'll just, I'm going to serve these kids forever. He's like, in 40 years, they're all going to leave you and not ever look back. You should do that, you, you know? Then I did, like when I was your youth pastor, I did, I dreamed of nothing else. Mm-hmm. I thought, this is it, man. I'll make disciples of high school kids for the rest of my days. And it was just trying to be, I'm not saying I'm, I'm the most obedient guy, but I was just trying to be obedient with, with what the, the Lord put right in front of me, Amen. and then just trust Him with the rest. Mm. So, did I see this happening? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, I did not have a category for what God has allowed me to be a part of. Mm. I just we see that when when the, when when the Lord says, "Follow me." He doesn't point out the destination. I mean, ultimately, the destination is the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we know that's where ultimately and eternally we are headed. But in this life, when he says, follow me, we don't, we don't other than the cross and there being an execution of ourself and our future, we don't really know where that's headed. Mm. And I think it would rob us of the joy of knowing like there would be steps, there would be faith that was not built. There, was, there would be hope that is not stirred. But this faith building thing that he does, which he's, I would, and I don't want to make this about me, but he has done this in my career. Just, Christy and I have prayed 10,000 times, Lord, just give us wisdom to show us what the next step is. I don't have to see the whole thing. Just what are you telling me now? Help me differentiate between what you told me at one time and what you are telling me now because those two things can be different. And if you're just doing what he told you without listening, you may not be walking in obedience to what he's currently telling you. So that that's that's kind of been our prayer. Lord, I just I don't and that's I was having this conversation with John T, our middle son, who I think is incredibly musically gifted and he's getting married and he's trying to figure out how in the world am I going to take care of Sarah and that whole. And I said, John T, don't let the world put the pressure on you now at this point where you could be fearful. What am I going to do with my life and how am I going to take care of this girl that I love? Don't, don't accept that pressure from the world. You don't have to. The Lord never says, show me your business model. And I'm not saying business models are a bad idea, but when it comes to walking with him, our responsibility is just one step at a time. That's it, which is great. I can, I can, I can handle one step. Mm-hmm. Just show me, okay, show me what this step is. Okay, now I'm here. Now what's the next step? And sometimes that may lead us in a circle, but all we have to know is I'm just responsible for the next step. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know how we ended up all the way back around here, but the the faith building part of that has been beautiful. And when I look at what the Lord has done in 
Christy and in me, while he has done really cool things with my career, for which I am grateful. They pale in comparison to the faith and the belief he has stirred in us because we have seen him move in ways and in places and in things that are impossible. Mm. I love what he says in scripture regarding this miracle. It says, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated and also as much fish as they wanted. And when I read that, I had this moment of that before the abundance, before it says as much fish as they wanted, Jesus gives thanks. He's grateful. Before the abundance, he is grateful. And do you think that that is... When we talk about living life abundantly, what part does gratitude play in pursuing an abundant life? Yeah, gratitude is a is a posture that positions yourself before the Lord to be able to receive the abundant life that he has for you. I mean, you can't receive when your hands are full, man. Mm-hmm. And I I think every single one of us live on a continuum between gratitude and entitlement. The only human being that was entitled to be entitled is the one that spoke everything into existence. And all we see in the scriptures, I mean, you get this description of the attitude of Jesus in Philippians chapter two, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, puts on flesh, in obedience to the Father, comes as a servant in human form, and not just that, obedient unto death. Mm. That was his posture. I mean, he knows. So all the way back in John 2, the reason he was a little hesitant to do the first miracles, he knows, man, as soon as I do this, the, mm. you turn over the hourglass, mm-hmm. and when that sand hit, that last sand drops out, it is finished. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's my hour. So he knows right now, he's about to feed 5,000, that he is some months closer to that day. And yet, what does he do? He's constantly grateful to his heavenly father. For what? Poor man's bread. And he's thankful to his father from some little sardine fish to rub on there so they can have one more meal. So good. Anything you'd add? Um, So post-miracle, so he feeds all these people... This is a big moment, big miracle. Lots of people see it. And then what do people start immediately doing after the miracle? They want to make him king. Take him by force to make him king. So he withdraws by himself. It's interesting, though, that they say this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And and I don't know, maybe it's just a language thing, but they don't say this is Yeshua HaMashiach. Mm -hmm. They don't call him the Messiah. They just call him a prophet. Um. But I also think they want to take him by force to make him king because they really want him to take on Rome. So they think the kingdom that he is ushering in is a kingdom of physical power against physical power that will right all the wrongs and the abuses of the Romans. And they totally miss the kingdom mm. that he announces in Matthew 5. Pastor Joe, anything you'd add to that? Well, he he's going to jet, so he walks on water to get from point A to yeah. point B. So another miracle, which is kind of cool. Um, and then with their bellies still full, they catch up with him. They've, they've kind of figured out, 
Hey, how'd you get here? You weren't in the boat. Now you're here. Oh, you walked on water. <laughs> and then they begin to grumble and say, so what sign do you have to prove that you are who they just said you are, a prophet? Brother, they're less than 24 hours from a miraculous feeding and him walking on water. And that's the thing, man. If, you, if, you're, if you're always chasing a feeling, an emotion, a miracle, or a sign, they'll never fully and finally satisfy, mm-hmm. you know? So he's going to turn him, he's going to, turn it upside down on them, man. He's going to turn them on their head and be like, oh, oh, you want a son? I got you a son. You're just like, I mean, speaking of being the greater Moses, he takes everything back to the Israelites complaining in the desert. And think about how crazy what they were. I mean, you want to talk about entitled. They're like, why did you free us from slavery? We're going to starve to death out here. We'd rather go back than be slaves in Egypt. Like, hold on. Didn't you pray and ask God to deliver you? I mean, this is how Exodus starts. God hears the cry of his people. So he sends a deliverer. Think about how many times we are complaining about an answered prayer request. Yes. Like when you complain about your kids, your job, your marriage. I mean, at one point you're like, dear God, please let her say yes. And And she said yes. And now you're whining about this thing that you asked God to give you. So this is exactly what they're doing because they're not chasing Jesus, man. They're chasing full bellies. And they want to put him in their box that they think he fits in. And you say in the book that the gospel is greater than your cause. The gospel is greater than my cause, which is interesting in this cultural moment because everybody's got a cause. Yeah. (laughs) So why is this so important to remember in 2023. Because Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. That's right. And we do not bow to a donkey or an elephant. Mm-hmm. We bow to the lamb. That's right. Who is a lion. Amen. So he goes from loaves and fish. He walks on water. And we get to uh, him telling the disciples to not be afraid. And uh, you talk about this in the book, but he talks about, he commands us to not be afraid 366 times in scripture. Are we prone to fear? (laughs) Um, Fear is a primary weapon of the enemy and it is demonic. It is a spirit. According to Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and self-control, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control. Now, I do want to distinguish there's, um, so fear is not a feeling, fear is a spirit. Scared is a feeling that is biological, ruled over by the Lord, and helps you stay alive when the bear comes or whatever, okay? Mm -hmm. So scared, man, you feel scared and you take a step of obedience in the direction of whatever the thing is against fear. That's called courage. Praise God for courage, man. We need we've seen we've seen lots of videos lately in the face of evil where police officers, they had to be scared. There's no way their heart's not racing, their blood pressure's not elevated. They're hearing gunshots and they're running at it. That's called courage. Yeah. You gotta have courage. That's good. Um, okay, so this chapter is interesting because we go from two of the <clears throat> arguably most well-known famous miracles, feeding on the 5,000, walking on water. And then this chapter has this question, do you believe when doubts creep in? So how do we get from 
these two miracles to this question, how do we believe when doubts creep in? It's from the teaching of Jesus. So he's going to, in the business, preach what we call a space maker. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's some sermons that like are really attractional, and everybody's like, oh, <laughs> you got to listen to this one. And then there's some that people don't want to hear. That's This is this one, okay? So they're, they're pursuing their bellies, and... And he's he he he's he's talking about Moses and manna, and they were never satisfied. But just like you guys were never satisfied, they're like, "Well, give us some bread." I mean, Moses gave his people bread. Why don't you give us some bread? He goes, "Oh, you want bread? I got you bread. Eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you have no part with me." Now, imagine if you're taking notes. All right, you're a good note taker. Can you imagine? Be like, "All right, eat my." Fl-. Did he say? He said fish. Didn't he say fish? He's going to get some more fish. Hey, can y'all get the 12 bags of the fish? The prophet wants some fish. I mean, these guys are Jewish. They can't eat pork, much less the prophet, right? right? (laughs) And then here comes the rumblings. And I can imagine the emails. They're like, he's changed. He, I, I used to be here when we first started. This is and, just hypothetical. These, you've never gotten these right? emails. It's so different now. I mean, he is so different. He used to just like play with kids and pet sheep and he just feed people. And now he's somebody eating his flesh. Who does he think he is? I mean, the grumbling begins. And it, and it, I mean, not only do they not understand it, but it's not what they want to hear. And so people start leaving, man. And what's crazy is... He don't go chasing after him. That's right. And so I think if I was a disciple at that point, I'd be like, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's fine. He's fine. He's going to, he's about to explain it. He's about to twist it. It's going to be a story about something, goats, or he's going to make fun of the Pharisees. Everybody loves when he does that. Just watch. He'll, he's, he's a good teacher. He's going to tighten this thing up. So then he makes it worse unless you feed on my flesh. That sounds like the walking dead, right? Like, I ain't, ain't, you know? (laughs) And he, and he just he just lets it hang out there. And it says some disciples <clears throat> did walk away. Many. You know what verse that is? Six sixty-six. Uh, that's always wig me out, man. Oh, that's wow. always freak me out. That's kind of scary. It's easy John to remember. Six six six. They like walked that. away and followed him no more. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't it? You so, kind of wonder if they ever came back or if they just went on their way. Um, you mentioned in talking about this moment in scripture, we feel like we deserve to have God explain all that he does to us for us. Well, I know. Why? What in the world gives us the right to think God owes us an explanation about we anything? <laughs> right. And it's like, I'll show you. I won't follow you. He's like, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Okay, you also say this. I have a lot of quotes, this chapter. Um, A great sermon and a great song will never sustain you. They may make you feel better, but they won't push you over the line into true belief. Only the presence of a great Savior will sustain you. And it's important knowing that this comes from you. You preach. You are the lead pastor of a very large church. You preach great sermons. I know you say whatever you say, moderately Delivered. Divinely received, moderately, no, wait, moderately delivered, delivered. Exceptionally, div- exceptionally received. received. Okay. Um, and we have great worship. We have great production. We've got, there, we have a lot of these elements. And 
it is so important to keep this in mind. So can you talk a little about this? Because I know we have other churches that listen to this podcast too. Yeah, sure. So what you have to understand is like the point of church is not the sermon and the music. The sermon and the music are means to an end, which is the point of church, mm. which is the glory of God. Right. And so there's a bunch of people right now, givers and receivers, that think like the worst thing you can do as a preacher is think that you exist to come and listen to my sermons. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. The sermon exists so that you can draw near to God. These are fundamentally different ways of thinking about it, you know? Um, I mean, I exist to serve this church. There's a whole bunch of preachers right now, man. It's really scary. It's really scary. The moment, the moment the call to be a shepherd became an industry with like platforms and conferences mm-hmm. and stuff like that, man, it gets real dicey. Yeah. I mean, real dicey. I mean, John the Baptist says when all the disciples, some of his disciples start going to Jesus, and some of his other disciples was like, hey, boss, you going to stop them? Mm. Like our, our ministry is shrinking. And he's like, yeah, dummy. The whole point. This is the point. <laughs> it's Jesus. Yeah. And the illustration he uses, he's like, I, I'm just like a groomsman at the wedding. Mm. Can you imagine if the groomsman at a wedding tried to make the wedding about him right. instead of the bride and the groom? Mm. Yeah. So, so when people walk out of church, man, if they're talking about Joby more than Jesus, God help me. Yeah, that's right. Can you imagine at your wedding if one of your bridesmaids like <laughs> cut you off as you're walking down the aisle, oh, yeah, got in like, the way? What is happening? <laughs> imagine what the groom would feel. Right. <laughs> yeah. So true. He would not be a fan of the attendant. Right. He'd be like, mm-hmm. I think you missed the point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> when you make it about the sermons and when you make it about the music, because ultimately what you're making it about is the preacher and the musicians. When you right. do that, man, the groom standing there waiting for his bride is like, <clears throat> excuse me, mm. you're making it about the wrong thing. Appreciate you guys being here, okay, but you're making it about the wrong thing. Yeah. So, man, I, I work with a lot of church planners, and there's this thing right now, man. There's this thing where guys think because they have a call to plant a church that God gives churches to pastors. Mm. And it's the exact opposite. God gives pastors to serve churches. It's good. That, so that's why I say a sermon or a song will not sustain you, only yeah. Jesus will. The sermon and the song are a means to that end, to know him. Mm. Anything you got? I was just thinking back the last couple of days to the first time I heard Joby preach. I, I don't know, I'd been in a dry place where I hadn't heard the word preached with such faith, you know, in a while. And Christy and I got in here, and I, I mean, he's up there doing his thing, just whatever. And I remember crying, one, I guess, because when the word hits me, it, maybe that's part of its effect on me. But two things. One was the, the courage it took to do what I, and I don't remember the sermon, but just the courage it took to sling it that way with, like, real faith. Mm. But just that somebody actually believed what this thing says mm. without acquiescence, without compromise, without trying to make it say something that it doesn't, without yes. making apologies for it. 
we we are we, if we're not in it now, and I believe that we are, we're stepping into an age where folks are just going to absolutely hate us because we mm-hmm. believe that this is true. Which is exactly what he says in the end of six. He said, they ask him, what's the work we must be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus says, this is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. So I love Peter's response. You know, we like to lovingly make fun of Peter around here. But he says some good some good things. So tell us about Peter's response when Jesus looks at him and asks, do you want to leave too? <clears throat> So this is what you do, man, when um, you're believing God for a miracle and you're reading a book on miracles and you need a miracle and you just can't imagine your life without your kid being healed or whatever the thing is, and then God doesn't do what you think he ought to do. Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no part with me. Okay. Post-resurrection... I can explain what that means in about sure. three minutes. Right. He's like, I'm going to die and go to the cross. I'm going to institute at the Lord's table communion. As often as you do this, broken body, shed blood, you do it in remembrance of me. In other words, without the gospel, you got no part with me. Right. You don't have to actually like bite my tricep. Right. Okay. <laughs> he explains nothing. Mm. Right. And then he looks at him and goes, do y'all want to leave too? Okay, so why is he asking Peter if he wants to leave? The Bible doesn't say he specifically asked Peter, but Peter speaks up. Peter is always going to talk first and most, but it's because Jesus knows the heart of every man. I mean, Peter's initial answer has got to be, yeah, I kind of, yeah. like, I kind of want to leave, man. I mean, it was going super good. You know, I left my dad holding the nets on the seashore, walked away from the family business, everybody scratching their head. Yesterday, I thought it was going awesome. Like, we're up to 20,000 people, fastest growing ministry in Galilee. We got 12 baskets of leftovers. I mean, this is going great, but I have no idea what you're talking about. This teaching is hard. Talk about the understatement of the yeah. chapter. This teaching is hard. <clears throat> but then, as he evaluates things, and, and the reason I set all that up that way is it's okay to get there in your life. Mm. I mean, like we've we've talked about it before, strong believers struggling with infertility. I still just can't. I'm like, okay, Lord, you commanded be fruitful and multiply, and this here's a couple doing it right. Like they have a covenant of marriage. They love you. I don't even think they they seem they don't even seem self centered in it about right. them. They just want to raise little disciples. How can you can you not get on board with this? And yet the least qualified humans on the planet or seem to be the most fertile. Mm-hmm. I mean, why are you giving babies in these situations where there's abuse or they're born addicted to a drug? What? Yeah. These people just want to bring the kid to Sunday school. Okay. And he goes, hard teaching? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. And I'm sure God could like open up heaven and open up my scalp and be like, here's why, right. and explain it to me in a second. But he he decides not to. So then Peter looks around and goes, but where am I going to go, man? Because to walk away from you, I got to walk towards something else. And you're the only one that offers eternal life. And so what do you do with your doubts and your questions and your, you know, even like your... Your biblical slash science slash history, like, 
if you can't describe, if you can't fully explain the dinosaurs and Noah's Ark and all the Old Testament miracles, whatever, man, pick your thing. Mm. I think what Peter shows us here is what you do in those moments, whether it's an intellectual thing or it's an emotional thing, right? You married a Christian and then they abandoned you and you're like, wait a minute, okay, whatever the thing is, mm -hmm. what Peter shows us, if you, you just pick up all that stuff, you follow after Jesus because mm -hmm. he's the only one that offers eternal life. Yeah, that's good. Peter also gives us some really cool insight into his process of how he came to that place where he believed and knew that Jesus is the only one, the Son of God. And it, he says, we have believed and have come to know. And if you look at the if you look at the chronology of that, belief comes before the knowing. Mm. And, and so many of us want to know first. And then we say, well, let me know first and then I'll believe. But with the disciples, it was belief first and then the Lord filled in the knowing. Mm. So it was, a, it was a trusting in that came before some of it made. And I'm not, I don't think it, there was still a whole lot that did not make sense. They didn't know everything sure. for by a long shot. Belief, but belief, which is sort of something that happens down here in your gut mm -hmm. or your heart, came before the intellectual um, grabbing a hold of and going, okay, I think I can kind of understand this now. It, it, it happened here first and then here, not the other way around. Mm, that's good. So to close, let's bring it back to Mr. Ike Brown, losing his son and then adopting his son's murderer. I love what you did in our Easter services because you can watch that video and kind of miss the point because it will get you so emotional and you can hear that story and not see the gospel tie. And so right when that video ended, can you draw the connection for us to how that is a perfect picture of the gospel? <clears throat> yeah, so in the video, in, in reality... Ike writes a letter to his son's murderer and makes an offer. Will you do me a favor? Will you be my son? And the first time Ike ever shares this, we were at this restaurant at the town center, and he shares this, and I was like, oh, my. And I said, this, that's the gospel. And he goes, what? <laughs> he go, didn't even see it. No. I not, yeah, he's like, I never thought about it that way. I'm like, how else could you think about things? <laughs> God sends his son, and from a human perspective, uh, one of the police officers said, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So mm -hmm. obviously it's ordained from the beginning of time that the lamb would be slain. However, from, from Peter's perspective, wrong place, wrong time, an innocent man is killed. And then a father looks at his son's murderers. And 1 Peter 2.24 says that Christ bears the curse of our sin in his body on the tree. So you can fight about what was it the Romans or was it the Jewish leaders that killed Jesus. It don't matter. It was my sin and your sin that nailed him to the tree. So you and I are the murderers of the Son of God. And that being the background, God sent us a letter. And I don't want to water things down or dumb things down. But in essence, God says, well, Ike says, will you do me a favor? I like that word favor. Mm. Favor means like, 
Um, this isn't earned. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever become a Christian, it's because God did you a favor. Mm. He put his favor on you, though you That's did good. not deserve it. Okay. When the thief on the cross makes it to heaven, essentially what he's saying is, Jesus, will you do me a favor? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and God says, um, I've got an offer for you. He could have looked at us with nothing but condemnation. Now, if we don't believe, we already stand in our own condemnation. It's not God that needed to condemn us because we, we have condemned ourselves. And sort of like what Ike said, I just loved him. I just loved him. Forgiveness was not an issue. Mm-hmm. And so God, because he is loved through the blood of his son, Jesus, looks at us and he just loves us. And he says, hey, man, think about I mean, I don't, you can't do God favors, but he's like, can you do me a favor? Can you be my child? And so he pays the full penalty so that not only can we be forgiven of our sin, but that we can be adopted into the family of God. I think this is what Paul means in Romans 8 when he says we're more than conquerors. Because mm-hmm. if you were if you were just a conqueror, not more than, but just a conqueror, that means you're in the army. When you win, you get the spoils. So then what's more than a conqueror? Well, a son is more than a conqueror because mm. not only do you get the spoils, but you get to go home with the king because he's your dad. And you can wake up the king at 3 o'clock in the morning and be like, can I get some water? You're the only person in the kingdom that can do that. Mm. That's and that's what you get invited into, to be adopted into the family of God Amen. as a son. Well, I love this chapter. I think um, I think it was Pastor J.D. Greer who said it about this book, that it's the gospel-centered book of miracles that we need today. And I feel like one of the reasons I believe that too is because you're not just looking at the miracles in and of themselves. You look at what happened before the miracles, what's happening after the miracles. Because if you just look at the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on water, then the person that feels full of doubt hopeless, they're like, okay, well, where's my miracle? And then it's this whole end about the the hard teaching and what do you do when doubts creep in that show that resounding theme of, I know he can, and even if he doesn't, I'll still believe. <clears throat> and I experienced, as we were writing this, I experienced two ends of the miraculous spectrum. Hmm. And I And so what do you do? What do you do when you go hunting with your best friend and he doesn't come home? Yeah. And you're like, what? What? This is a hard teaching. Yeah. God, I, there's, there's a list of people that I would take out. Brad, ain't, he ain't on the list, man. Right. He's spending his whole life. to. He built the thing we're sitting in right now. He, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? All he wanted to do is just trying to lead people to Jesus. Yeah. And so I want to, what do you do? Because I know that there are people listening and there are people reading and they're on the chemo drip and God's not going to heal them on earth. He's going to take them home, yeah. man. So there's a chapter on what do you do with that? And there's a chapter on, and how do you rightly respond when God just yeah. blows the doors off and you take your another one of your best friends who's just been given a three-year prognosis. I mean, do y'all realize that right now, according to what the first doctor told Ben Williams, he would be in hospice right now. Wow, It's been that long that he would be in hospice according to the initial diagnosis wow. when when he when that brain tumor was found. Wow. 
I mean, you know, he's leading worship the other day. I know. He's, he's, uh, so, so sometimes God does that, you know? And so how do you respond? Well, if you're chasing the miracle, man, I don't know. It just kind of seems like luck of the draw. Some of us get it. Some of us don't. Man, that ain't, that's not the joy of the Lord found in Jesus no. that never changes. You know, that's chasing after just a different set of circumstances. Yeah. It's good. And so that's what, we're, that's what I wanted to make sure that we were rooted in the good news of the gospel, no matter yeah. the situation, no matter the circumstance. For sure. On that note, will you close us in prayer? Sure. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, um, thank you for your word. <laughs> I thank you that it's not just a book of stories and events. It's alive. It's uh, supernatural. It's every word of it is breathed out by you. Theos noustos. It's a big deal. I thank you for uh, a love that you've put in our hearts for your word. And it's this incredible snowball thing. It's like the more we love it, the more we know you, and the more we know you, the more we love you, and the more we love you, the more we love your word. And God, I just thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you for specifically for Ike Brown and his family. Yeah. Um, God, thank you so much for using that man as a vessel of your grace to demonstrate in an unbelievable but undeniable way mm. that if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it. <laughs>